Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Whether it's devotional times, family issues, or marriage problems, we want to help you understand and apply what the Bible says in practical ways that produce real results. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Let's Follow Jesus on some of the essentials of walking with Christ on a personal level. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. In our series, Let's Follow Jesus, and we're talking through basically the crown jewels of the Christian life in terms of incarnational truth. Now, the crown jewels of truth, of doctrine, are in our creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. But the next step, once God reveals truth, is the incarnation of that truth where it becomes flesh and blood and bones in us, and that that truth isn't just something that's true and believed and revealed and good and wonderful, but it actually becomes a part of us and the way we live and think and act. And today, our title is, If We Walk in the Light. If We Walk in the Light. And this comes from 1 John 1.7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. And this, to me, is one of the most critical principles of the whole Christian life. This issue, this principle of walking in the light. It's not just that there is light, it's the walking in the light that makes the difference. And I want us to take a look at this passage in 1 John. I've got um, verse uh, 1, 2, and then 5, since I couldn't get it all on there, but this gives you the idea. This is the Apostle John writing, and he says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handle concerning the word of life. Who was the word of life? That was Jesus. Okay, so he's saying, uh, from the very beginning, what we have heard, the, the followers of Jesus, what we heard Jesus say, what we saw Jesus do with our eyes, what we beheld and what we actually touched, whether it would be the multiplied bread, uh, the, the bread and the wine at the Lord's Supper, the touching of people that had been sick and were healed, the demons going out. He, uh, he's saying, then he goes on and says, And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So what's he saying? He says, We are going to share our eyewitness testimony with you about Jesus Christ we're going to share with you our experience, what we actually experienced of God walking in the flesh here on earth. And so you think, well, I wonder what he got out of that other than the identity of Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 5, he says, And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is. One of the things that helps me get more out of the Bible is I try to anticipate what he's going to say. Pretend like I don't know what he's going to say. And so, 
uh, you get to a certain place, he says, well, now, if I didn't know what it said or if I'd never read it, I wonder with what I know about the author, about the situation, what would I expect him to say or do? And so, like I said, this is a passage written by John. And what's the one verse that everybody in the world who knows any verses in the Bible knows? John 3.16. And what's that talking about? Love. For God so loved, not just love, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, etc. So, and, and we know that John somewhere wrote that God is love and, and, you know, he's talking about Jesus Christ who came not to judge but to save and the grace of God. And, and everybody loves love. And so here we, we're listening to John, and John says, we were with him, we saw him, we touched him, we, we listened to him, and we boiled it all down, and we got a message out of being with the Son of God, God in the flesh. He says, and this is it. He says, sit down, let me tell you the cliff notes of what we got out of being with Jesus for three years. This is the message we heard from him, from Jesus, and now we're going to announce it to you. Are you ready? He says, this is it. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. It's like a shot across the bow. We weren't expecting this from John. He says, hey, John, you let me down. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. You think, well, I thought, I thought John said that God is love. He does. Where? In chapter 4. But when he starts off saying, we saw Jesus, we listened to him, and this is what we got out of it, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. This is something that our age has lost and is losing. People want to just say that God is love, and by that they mean tolerance, and grace, and kindness, and anything goes except intolerance. And they have departed from biblical Christianity, even if they still mouth the creed, because this is the message that we have from him, that God is light. He has called us out of darkness into light. And I believe this is why some people never really feel God's love. They know that Technically, God loves them. They know the Bible says that. They hear it preached in messages. They hear, have heard lots of sermons on grace and stuff like that. And they, they know technically it's true. They just don't feel it. And one of the reasons I believe that's the case is because the only way you get to the place where you receive and perceive the love of God is you first understand that God is light. The gospel that does not offend and wound does not save you first have to confront your own sinfulness in order for you then to perceive and receive a Savior. If the grace of God means to you that all your sins are just whitewashed and you're really a perfectly good person, that those things technically are bad but really not bad because God loves you, then you can never understand biblical Christianity. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. We must first know him as light. Back in the Garden of Eden, we learned to hide. Adam and Eve sinned against God. And the first, their first thing that they did wasn't to look at themselves and say, oh, we have been so bad. 
They looked at themselves and felt ashamed, and they hid. When the Bible talks about light and darkness, it's not just talking about good and bad. It's talking also about truth and lies. In fact, let's go back to that passage we were just looking at and prove it from the Scripture. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. When we hear the phrase, if we walk in the light, there are two possible interpretations that come to our mind. One is, if we walk in the light, in other words, if we live a righteous life. But if you follow the verse through, the end of the verse says, if you do these things and walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all sin. Well, if walking in the light was living a perfectly righteous life, you don't have any sin to be cleansed of. You already did that in the condition. He says, son, if you stay in your nice Sunday clothes that we put you in and just sit there in the chair and don't go outside where the mud is, then I promise I'll clean you off. No, no. If he stays in the chair, he didn't need to get cleaned off. He never got dirty. So what, what's the second possibility of walking in the light? What that means is it means walking in a way that you're telling the truth about who you really are. Light, turning on up the lights in a room does not clean the room. Boy, wouldn't that be nice if it did. You just buy a 200-watt bulb instead of a 100-watt bulb for your living room or for your kitchen, and bingo, cleaned it. No, actually, it looks worse, doesn't it? The brighter the light, the more you say, oh, boy, look at that stain. I hadn't noticed that. Walking in the light means facing up to who you really are. It means walking in the truth, even if the truth is unfortunate. (laughs) There's a book I just uh, grabbed off my shelf uh, as I was preparing this topic, and I was actually thought it talked about talking about something else, but I found, I was quite taken with it. It was written by Scott Peck, People of the Lie, and he gives a lot of case studies. But it was fascinating uh, talking about the way a person moves into darkness, how. Every one of us struggles with right and wrong and good and evil and light and darkness. But they're different. You you come to many forks in the road where you can either tell the truth or lie, even to yourself. And he says there are certain things that characterize a person that's become a person of the lie. He says it's someone that refuses to take responsibility for what they do. They consistently scapegoat. That means blame somebody else. They're incapable of receiving criticism, and if you try to criticize them, they're very quick to say, you shouldn't judge, I can't believe you said that, etc. They're overly concerned with their public image, what will people say, and they're intellectually devious in the sense that it's very murky, even to them, what's going on. So you have something that's very, very clear, you put it out there, and they say, yes, but, and this and that and the other, etc. And so instead of being able to quickly resolve something that should be very obvious... There is a darkness over them, and they will do anything rather than admit that they did anything wrong. Do you know anybody like that? We all face this. We're all tempted by it. Because it's very difficult for every one of us to really 
keep facing up to the fact that we're very influenced by darkness, that we're very drawn to darkness. And it could be just in slight emotional ways. It, it could be in terms of money, time. It could be in terms of lust, um, our affections for people. But this is the issue that faces us constantly. Are we going to walk toward the light and admit who we really are to ourselves, to God, to others? Or are we going to more and more become the people of the lie? That technically everything is fine, and yet everything is not fine from God's point of view. And I don't even know if this is going to make, these things are going to make any sense to you. If you are growing in walking in the light, it'll make perfect sense to you because this is what you struggle with every day. The second thing I want to talk to you about is the leaven. A passage from Luke 12 that's meant a lot to me. Luke 12, 1 through 3. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, that's crowded. I didn't see anyone step on anybody today. We're not that crowded here. He began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Okay, this was one of the moments where Jesus was in fashion. Tons of people coming out. Right at the end of Luke 11, that said the Pharisees were very concerned about this. They were plotting. The people were gathering in, in hordes. I can imagine that if you organized an activity as a leader, and ten times more people came than you were expecting, that the main things going through your mind, as a, if you were the pastor or something, or the crusade leader, is where are we going to put all these people? I wonder if the PA system is going to reach. Uh, make sure the ushers are checking on this over there. Are there any more seats anywhere we could, we could pull in? You'd be thinking about the event. You'd be thinking about the people that came. Look at what Jesus was thinking about. He began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, this probably came right out of the blue for the disciples. It's like, it's like beware of the bicarbonate, of soda of the elders, like, beware of the pepper of the deacons. I said, what are you talking about? There's some little leaven, which is bread, you know, yeast that you put in dough, and then something with the Pharisees. What, what is he talking about? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and then he explains, which is hypocrisy. But they still probably didn't get it, and they didn't understand why he was saying this right now. Where, where is this coming from? I mean, Hello, shouldn't we be worried about the meeting? Do you realize that if you are with, if you're second in command to a, uh, to a leader who all of a sudden has a lot of popularity, do you realize what's going on in that second level leader? He's thinking, I was with him from the beginning. We didn't used to be anything, but now we're popular. And if you want to talk to the leader, you just talk to me. You know, sort of a Barney Fife kind of a situation, you know. And, uh, and so you begin to take on a reflected glory from this new personage that you are the helper of, and you've been with him from the beginning when he was nothing. And so Jesus looks at, looks at the crowd coming, and he's so perceptive, he thinks, what are those disciples thinking right now? They're thinking they're really something. 
And when you think you're something, you have an image to live up to. And if you have an image to live up to, but you're not really that person, then you have to figure out how do I hide the stuff that, that, uh, that's true, but it doesn't fit in with my image. They'll think less of me. I'll hide that, and I'll just put out there what will make everybody think, oh, yes, that he is uh, the great second in command of this popular person. And he knew, Jesus knew, that at this point the disciples were, were the most vulnerable they had ever been to being hypocrites, of caring more about what other people think than what's really true. Let's talk about making bread. You take, the, the way they would make bread is they would mix flour, water, sugar, salt, and they would have some leaven, which was uh, usually a bit of older dough that had already been leavened, and they would mix it all up and let it sit there in a warm place, and it would rise. Now, what, what's going on there? Well, in leaven, it's microorganisms that breathe, eat, and multiply. And as they multiply, they spread through the whole mass. And as they breathe, they're, because there's the, the gluten that holds it together, it starts to rise. Little pockets of this uh, yeasties breathing causes that dough to rise. And I, I looked through the house last night for, for yeast because I was going to make a big pot and, of, uh, of dough with yeast in it. I was going to have it here in a glass thing, and I was going to punch it down at the beginning, cover it with a cloth, and then 15 minutes later when we got to this point, I was going to whip off the cloth, and you were going to see how it had grown. And yet had it grown? No. It was the appearance of growth. But what truly is the leavening process. It is the beginning of decay. That's what's really going on. It's dough that has become sour, but at the early stages of that fermentation, it has uh, an effect that we like. It makes the bread softer, lighter, etc., and, it, and it's not terrible. That's the, also the way wine is made. But what it truly is, is it's the beginning of decay, of rotting, you know, the Bible talks about uh, we need to get rid of leaven. They would have the feast of the unleavened bread, and they would go through, <clears throat> before the Passover, they would go through their house and clean out all the old leaven. You think, why was that? Well, leaven was a, a picture of sin. So unleavened bread was pure. Leavened bread was, in a sense, contaminated. Unleavened bread was sweet. Leavened bread was sour. Unleavened bread, fresh. The leavened bread, in a sense, the beginning of rotting. And that speaks to us of the unleavened is, talks about truth. The leaven lie. In what sense? Well, it looks like you've got more and more bread. You leave it in there longer. It looks like the bread doubled. And that's what hypocrisy does. It makes you look better than you are. And a lot of times we're satisfied with that. It doesn't matter what I really am. It's what everybody thinks I am. You live in your image as though it were true, but it's not true. The real you is some shriveled, dark thing crouching back there. But if nobody sees it, it's like it doesn't exist. I'm my image, and they think highly of me, and I'll do anything to keep that image burnished. Unleavened talks of sincerity. Leavened talks about hypocrisy. Unleavened is what it is. 
leavened is less than what it looks like it is in terms of quantity of bread and also in terms of life. Unleavened is real. Leavened, in a sense, is fake in terms of its size. Unleavened speaks of being humble. Leavened being proud. The unleavened is small. With leaven, it gets large. The unleavened, when you punch it down, punch it all back down, it's deflated. The leavened is inflated. The unleavened is confessing because it's not as though any of us is completely without leaven. We all struggle with darkness and evil. It's not a, a, a decision between, between being righteous and unrighteous. Please follow me on this. It's a decision to tell the truth or to keep lying. The Bible says we're all capable of incredible evil. But he says, if you've come to faith in Christ, you can admit who you really are. In Genesis 4, when Cain is struggling with hating his brother Abel and wants to kill him, God comes to him, and one of the things he says is, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Hadn't come in yet. Just outside that door right there, like a dog or something, bear. Sin is crouching at the door, and it's waiting for you. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Wouldn't it be nice if sin wasn't crouching at the door? If you could get to the place where things just didn't bother you. Yes, you know there's a dozen donuts in the refrigerator, but you're not tempted in the least. Uh, you know that it's not a good idea for you to eat those donuts, so... Who cares? Might as well be garbage in there. There's uh, awful things to look at on the Internet. But it's, it's bad stuff. It's sin. I'm not in the slightest bit any more tempted to do that than to go rummage around in the garbage can and find a rotten tomato with mold and maggots on it and stuff it down my mouth. I wouldn't do that. I'm certainly not going to do the other. Unfortunately, sin is crouching at all of our door, and it's desirous for us. And we can't, we can't change that. But we can learn to walk in the light and admit the truth. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says we must clean out the old leaven. He says so that you can be a new lump, just as, in fact, you, you are unleavened in the sense that Christ has cleansed you. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. I wonder today where you are in this topic of walking in the light. Like I said, I'm not talking about primarily living a righteous life. That's our goal. But none of us attains that. Walking in the light means that you are finding ways to tell the truth how you're doing, no matter how it is you're doing. I mean, if you're doing fine in something, well, you don't have to lie and say, well, I'm, I'm really struggling with pride when you're actually not. I guess that's never the case, is it? But anyway, but walking in the light means coming to a new place of honesty and openness with yourself, with God, and with people about who you really are. The Bible teaches us that we have to continually run to the light. Run to the light. In 1 John, it had talked about... He says, if we say we have no sin, we're just lying. 
But if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. Well, we've talked about running to the light, but the question is, what does that look like? If I were to stop there, I would have done you a grave disservice. Because all of us already have a certain amount of darkness in our life. We all are already dealing with a certain level of deception where we don't even necessarily even tell ourselves the truth. And I realize also that most of the, a lot of the conflicts you have right now with certain people in your life might be a mother-in-law, might be a brother, might be a child, might be a coworker, might be a boss, might be somebody in this room, might be sitting next to you that a lot of the tensions that you're feeling with that person is, y'all can't really tell the truth. And each time you try to tell the truth to that person, they bite you. They shut down. They get angry. They attack you. Why? They can't face that truth. And maybe they've tried to tell you the truth, and there's no way you're going to take that from them. Who do they think they are? I mean, can you believe they said this? I always knew they didn't like me. Where's the grace of God? Why, why, why are they judging me? So many of the tensions we have between ourselves and other people have to do with the fact that we cannot tell the truth and we cannot hear the truth. So let's talk about, you can't change that other person that you're having these troubles with, unfortunately. Uh, you can pray for them, and you can get them a copy of the CD, <laughs> today's message. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I should have said that. We ought to cut that out so they wouldn't think, ah, oh, that's why they gave me this thing. But I want to talk to you just about you. And this third topic of liberation, we talked about light. We talked about leaven. Beware. Watch out for the leaven. It can sneak in so subtly. We want to talk about liberation. How can you more and more be set free from walking in darkness? We have to come to a place where we can admit to ourselves that certain things in our life are just flat wrong. And it's not because of my mom or my dad or my son or the, my economic situation it's my responsibility, and so even though, yes, there are many factors, as, it's, as he said in the book, the People of the Lie, he says the very first manifestation of being a person of the lie is you can't take personal responsibility. It's not my fault. This other person did it to me. He says, no, you take responsibility for you. No one can force you to sin. So the first thing in liberation is admitting to yourself that you're wrong. Second is confessing it to God. But if you can't even admit it to yourself, how are you going to confess it to God? You're still telling yourself, I didn't do anything wrong. So what's there to confess? So in a sense, confessing it to yourself. And sometimes God will send somebody in your life to help you. I remember sitting with somebody, it was just a couple months ago, and I said this and this and this, and I thought I had good reasons for why I did. I mean, it wasn't the best thing, but et cetera. And he says, don't, Henry... Don't settle for disobedience. I mean, he might as well have stood up and slapped me, but I knew he was right. And his words, I've taken them, instead of as a slap, I've taken them as a treasure. And they have been helping me for a month. 
whenever I face that same thing, his words come back to me. And it sort of wakes me up, and I realize, yeah, I'm honest. I can't, I can't allow that. And I needed him to help me. 1 John 1.9 talks about confessing our sins to God. And you're probably very familiar with that passage. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's talking about confessing to God and receiving what? Forgiveness and cleansing. But have you ever had certain sins that you have admitted it to yourself, you've confessed it to God, you know technically he's forgiven you, but you still feel bad? And so what do you do? You confess it again, and you confess it again. If you're in a Baptist church, you go down front, and they pray for you. If you're in a Presbyterian church, I don't know what you do. But anyway, um, what happens when you don't feel forgiven? I believe that there's, there are some sins that have a greater effect on us than others. It's as though they wound our soul. And James 5.16 also talks about confession. And it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. It doesn't say forgiven. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us and cleanse us. But I believe there's sometimes also we need healing. And that the confessing of our sins to a brother or sister in Christ in appropriate ways has a tremendous cleansing and healing effect on us. I wonder today if you have someone that you can tell the truth to in your life. I've moved many times in my Christian life. I lived in Germany for a while, in Costa Rica, in Argentina, come back to America many times. I always have one primary prayer request of the Lord whenever I move. Lord, where I'm moving, give me at least one, but better several people that I can be completely honest with. Because whenever I don't have that, I'm at greater risk. That's part for me uh, uh, of walking in the light. And to always identify somebody anywhere where I actually live. Now, you may have somebody you can tell the truth to, but they live in New Zealand. Well, I know you can get penny talk and call them up, but frankly, a brother, a friend who is near is better than a brother who's far away, the Scripture says. Have somebody locally. I have several that are far away and five or six that are near that I keep uh, accountable with. Now, when we talk about telling the truth and confessing our sins, we are not... We're not talking about what the world says when it says coming out of the closet, where you say, well, I do this, and I don't care what you think about it. That's not confessing. That's the devil's counterfeit of confession, and it only serves to promote and justify sin. But let's talk for a minute about uh, what, what are we talking about. I want to give you just two suggestions that if you're serious about walking in the light, I want you to give this serious consideration. If you bought a piece of property on the way out to Blythewood and it was just undeveloped land, what would you find on that land in South Carolina? You'd find sand, pine trees, blackberry bushes, and uh, maybe some people have dumped some garbage there. And so 
the first thing you would do if you wanted to do something with that land is you would bring in heavy equipment, bulldoze it, put it all in trucks, haul it off, and you just cleared the land. But if you left it for another 10 years and came back, what would it look like in 10 years? It would almost look like what it was the first time before you bulldozed it. Uh, what was missing? Well, after you bulldoze it, then you need to come back every month with a lawnmower and go over the ground. And you'll keep it, and it'll, it maybe won't be grass, it'll just be weeds, won't be trees. And to me, that's a picture of if a person is serious about walking in the light, a two-pronged approach. When I say the big one, that means that if there's anything that you feel really bad about in your life that you've confessed many times and it just, you just, it's like it's stuck and you just can't leave it back there, that it would be good to get with uh, someone of the same sex, a spiritual leader. If you're a woman with a woman, if you're a man with Pastor George Crow or a pastor from another church, if you want somebody who's further away, it's not so, that's not so important, but to find someone that you can bring in the bulldozer and um, talk about what's happened in your life and ask them to pray for you. It's in an atmosphere of prayer, and someone did that with me when I was three weeks old in the Lord. I was 17 years old, and I thought all Christians did this. They said, well, it's time just to confess all of your sins, and then we'll pray for you that God will heal those memories in your mind that'll set you free from your past. And I thought, wow, this is really... This is really big stuff, becoming a Christian, you know. So we got in this bedroom, you know, with th like two or three leaders, and, and uh, it took me about a half an hour. I was such a criminal by age 17. At least you feel like you are. And I, I thought I was going to die, you know. I shared all of this stuff, and they prayed for me, and I walked out of that room feeling 10 pounds lighter. I thought, wow, no wonder they do that. That's really a blessing. So then after you've bulldozed the property, then what do you need to do? You just need to mow the lawn. You need to find somebody that you, that you trust of the same sex and similar issues so that it's not an unbalanced thing where you can just kind of get together periodically and say, how's it going? And it's got to be somebody that will also tell the truth to you. I meet with Pastor Dan Ratchford every three or four weeks, and we both know the kind of things we struggle with. So we get caught up in stuff, but then we ask each other the question, well, how's it really going, and how's it going in this and this and this and this? And then we say how it's really going in this and this and this and this. That's why this is more than just an accountability partner. You know what you do with an accountability partner? You say, how's it going? Well, it's going well or it's not going so well, and you leave it at that. I'll pray for you. Didn't get specific enough. That's not confession. I was in an accountability group for a year with somebody, and then he was discovered that he'd been having an affair for three years. I thought, well, so much for the value of that accountability group. What kind of things should you confess? Anything you don't want anybody to know is my basic rule of thumb. There are lots of other things that you don't care if somebody knows that you kind of had a bad attitude or you were complaining about that it's raining today or that you're sort of bummed out that you didn't get a raise this past year. You could tell anybody those things. But there are a few things that you don't want anybody to know. That is the leaven in the lump. And if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's the thing that you've got to admit, the thing you don't want anybody to know. To whom should you confess? It's not always, should not always necessarily be your spouse. It needs to be somebody that 
in most cases, I think it's very helpful to have somebody of the same gender that struggles with the same things, and you've got a pact that will we'll tell each other the truth. Why is this so powerful? Because as Barney Five says, this helps nip it in the bud. All big sins begin with little ones. Now, we hate confessing the little sins because we hate admitting that we even struggle with things so ridiculous. So we say, well, this is too little to confess. I'm not going to go tell him that I, I did that. You know, I mean, that's so ridiculous and it's embarrassing. I can't believe that it, it, uh, I've been a Christian for 30 years and, and I did that. I mean, it's not a huge thing, but it's an embarrassing thing. It's too little. I can't, I can't go confessing stuff like that. Then it gets bigger. Good grief. Well, I can't say this one. Because now it's really bad. I mean, before it was, uh, it was too little to confess. Now it's too big to confess. You've always got some reason why you're not going to tell anybody. At least I do. And if you are serious about walking in the light, you'll identify, the Holy Spirit in you will identify, says that's it. That's what he was talking about. How brave are you going to be? How much do you love God? Yeah, but what will they think? It hit me one day that if... After I tell my running buddy, my accountability partner, the truth about me, if they think less of me after they know the truth about me, they already thought too much of me. And I'm glad we took care of that. They thought I was this person. I wish I was. I'm really this person. I'm struggling with the darkness in my life, but at the very least, I can tell the truth. And Jesus said in that passage in, in Luke 12, one of the ways he tries to motivate us, he says, don't think that you can ever truly hide anything. The decision isn't between it being revealed or it being hidden. It's only when it will be revealed. And he said, you can either confess it now and walk in the light, or someday it will be published in the Times newspaper in heaven. It will be on big billboards. What you have whispered in the dark will be shouted from the rooftops. Everything will be open and laid bare one day. But you can decide to go ahead and deal with it now and tell the truth. Or he says, I'll tell the truth someday. And as painful as it is now to tell one person, how painful would it be someday when they rip back the curtain and say, the whole time this person was living a lie. You can deal with it today. How do you confess your sins when you're talking with uh, your running buddy or with uh, the pastor, if it's the big one at the beginning, or, or the, the leader of the women, or whoever the Lord leads you, that this is the person I need to talk with? You don't need to get into the details of a sin. You don't say, well, it was April 2nd, and I was standing at this street corner, and then this happened. You know, no, this isn't, you're not writing a novel, but you're saying which lines you crossed. I had a friend in Argentina who was trying to be accountable in terms of his dating relationship, and he got with me one time, and he says, well, I just wanted to confess that something unfortunate happened last night with my girlfriend, and he was quiet. And I said, well, you know, if you want to be specifically forgiven for something, then you need to say what the something was. I said, you're, you're free to do anything you want. It's your life. It's your truth. But if you want to be the Lord to touch you 
and help you with this sin, then you have to name it. You don't have to give me all the details. But did you touch her? Where? What'd you do? And so in just a sentence or two, he said, I did this. I says, okay, now let's pray about that. And put that under the blood of Jesus Christ. And God set him free. He's a happily married man today. And he's, walk, he's learned to walk in the light. It would be wonderful if we never slipped into sin. But we always do, to a lesser or greater degree. The key to not becoming the terrible person you could become is when you do slip, you admit it to yourself, you admit it to God, you confess it to a running partner in Christ. You say, pray for me. I'm struggling with this. I crossed over this line yesterday. I feel terrible, and I needed to confess it to somebody. This is only for the brave. It's for those who still hunger and thirst for righteousness. And some of you, I'm afraid, given normal human statistics, you're too far gone for this. And I'm so sorry. But if my words can still reach to you, let me tell you something. There's still hope for you. It's not too late. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're right now playing with and what you've lied to everybody about. The words of Jesus reach to your heart today and say there's still hope for you. You can still come back to the light. God loves you. He's provided a way. The darkness is only going to destroy you. You think you're saving your image, but you're destroying your life. There's still time to come back to the light. We see it illustrated in the life of David. David sinned horribly. He'd been the one that had written all the psalms, and everybody sang his tunes, and it was to be like the person who wrote, Shout to the Lord, and we all know the authors of these songs, great praise songs. What if you found out that the, you know, someone has just written this great song, like Amazing Grace, and you find out he's just committed adultery, and uh, went out and shot the husband of the guy, of the lady that he'd committed adultery with. Wouldn't you be horrified? And you'd go back and look at the words of his song, you know, whether amazing grace, how sweet the sound. He says, you hypocrite, you horrible person. But even worse, what he's probably saying to himself, because he did know all of that. And so David has written all these wonderful things. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, etc., etc. I love the Lord. Early will I seek thee. I cling to thee, O Lord. He's committed adultery. He's committed murder. And then he starts to lie to himself. He won't even admit to himself that he's done anything wrong until Nathan, Nathan comes to him and, and confronts him with it. And David says, I am the man. I did it. And he confesses his sin to Nathan. He confesses his sin to God. He writes Psalm 51, which, where he admits it to all the people of God who've ever read the Bible from that time on. You're talking about being forthcoming <laughs> with your mistake. And I don't imagine there's anyone in here that's both committed adultery and murder. Maybe. Uh, but we're talking about an extreme case here. And even in a case much worse than probably yours is, he said, I did it, and I'm sorry, 
and I repent. And I know you will always think less of me for it, but I'm going to walk in the light and I'm going to tell the truth. Do you realize the name David comes up in the last book of the Bible, in the last chapter of the Bible? Listen to what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says about David. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. What does that tell us about Jesus Christ? He didn't come for the righteous. He came for the unrighteous. There weren't any righteous to come for. It was just you and me. But he says, I identify myself, the Holy Son of God, with David. Imperfect, but honest. No one needs to tell me that you and I are imperfect. The Bible already has said, we all struggle with darkness. The question is, are we going to run to the light? Tell the truth to ourselves, to our God, and to the appropriate part of the body of Christ. Friend, it's not too late for you. And you think you're going to die in this process, and you've actually almost been born again. You've come back out of the darkness, even as a Christian. You're saying, I'm tired of living with a lie, an image that's just not true. I wish it was true. It used to be true. It's no longer true. It may be pornography. It may be the budding of an affair. It may be just a root of selfishness. It may be pride. It may be a bitter attitude towards somebody. But can you tell yourself the truth? Will you admit it to God? Will you find somebody to talk to? He said, everything but that last sentence, Henry, I just won't do that. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we'll have fellowship with one another. Then the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. Close your eyes and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these truths. So painful, like bleach on our souls, but so necessary, for we all struggle with darkness, more than we'd like to admit even to ourselves. And we are sorry, Lord, but we're so grateful that you came to save sinners. Teach us what this means, that God is light, so that we could receive and rejoice in that God is love. Make us new, Lord, and help us to live with who we really are, rather than what we'd like other people to think us to be. We worship you today, wonderful, wonderful Lord, that would touch us in such a deep way with wonderful truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.